Hey, Jordan, how you doing? What's happening? It's another nice day here. It's cogging up, but yeah, we get cold it, soon. It warmed up here. Uh, it was cold last week, but it's about 60 now. Yeah, it's good. Hey, Tom. Yeah. How are you? Good on yourself. Doing very good. Got a lot of dreams going on. Blue, you know, blue is my color. I really notice it. I'm just going with it. Blue is my color. <laughs> Makes me look 20 years younger. Did you get your own Zoom account finally? Or? I was going to ask you if you changed that. I didn't. I actually set up a call the other day. I set it up to a guy and I clicked it. I just clicked it like I was trying, like I knew what I was doing. And it set it up. But uh, it still it's went out on a Google Meet, so the guy, the guy wasn't on the Zoom call. He was on the Google Meet call, but I see my names there. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I accidentally did something right. <laughs> usually, says Kevin, usually says Kevin, Dave. I know. Oh, it does? People that yeah. don't know think he's my dad. Hey, one guy asked if you were Bill Belichick on that, uh, on that uh, webinar we sent out this morning. They said, I thought that was Bill Belichick for a second on your webinar. Did I have a hoodie on or something? I don't remember wearing a hoodie. Oh. Huh. Maybe we should ride that one out. Huh? It's got this Bill Belichick meme. That's Grandpa Todd's what I told him. Yeah, no, that's what I am. It's how I roll. It's interesting. Dave, how's the new house? Hey, you know, we're here and I got a lawn and we're, we're settled in. So, you put all the ice on your yard? Absolutely. I'm telling you, compared to the neighbors, I was mowing in two weeks and it was seeded. You're being serious, aren't you? I'm totally serious. It's going to be in our product performance book. It is so night and day. Did you go out there and, and give it the five-day test and just grab a handful and pull it up and it didn't come up? Well, they they didn't they don't sod here. I don't get it. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, was that the sod test? Yeah. Yeah. Buddy, what's Buddy. going on? How are you? Good. See you in your new gear. Yes, sir. Yeah. I know Gil was all fired up. He's like, oh, I got to get those for Bodie. Yeah. They give me all sorts of hell because I would never wear any BW stuff. And I told him, I said, hey, you give me Columbia PFGs, I'll wear whatever you want me to. There you go. You're ready to roll. I think uh, Mitch is the only one we're waiting on. He said he was going to dial in on the road. He's on uh, – well, I've, got a, I've got a Holganix hoodie should I, that you that you made for. Should I run down and get that, Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we need. We got a lot of hats handed out today, too. Good deal. Yeah, I know you guys got all set up with a bunch, so should be good. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? I wore my – good, buddy. How are you? Doing all right. I wore uh, – I wore my blue checkered uh, Holganix hat so much this summer, Michelle won't let me wear it anymore. <laughs> it's all stained and wasted. Jordan's it, like, my it's goodness. A little, it's a little beaten up. Probably the most beaten up out of any of our hats. Yeah, I know where you get a new one. That damn thing fit, it fit good, though. You just find that right hat that fits right. Hell, you just wear it all the time. So It was good. I'm still looking. Hey, how you been? Dave, what were you in Kansas City? I saw not that long ago, huh? I was in Kansas City, yeah. We have a yeah, for that. large wholesale nursery customer that has, oh, they do 4,000 acres of, of trees and shrubs. 
and they brought in about 150 customers and I went and talked about soil health. So where was that inside of that was kind of a cool facility. It wasn't kind of neat. Uh, like a big old brick building or something. That's in, I'm going to get the name wrong. So it's Southwest of Kansas city, Luxora, and it's the barn, the Thompson barn. Huh? Wow. I don't know. I've never been in it. I saw that pic on Facebook and I was like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. I don't know where it went. So these guys, um, plant right and uh, cat nurseries, they guarantee their plantings for two years, but you have to use nope. their program and their program includes yeah. organics. Yeah. Now, Bodie, aren't you guys, uh, oh, your, your crew up there? trying to get into the lawn landscape space as well? Yeah, through the Turf Titan brand. Yep. Turf, okay, yeah, Turf Titan brand, yeah. All right, neat, so cool. Two different uh, ways to go about it, I guess, Dave. You guys started over there, and they're, they're trying to go over there, so. Yep. Interesting, interesting, for mm -hmm. sure, so. Is that the majority of your business still, Dave, at Organics? uh Problem. it's a it's a little bit bigger than the ag but we're ag yeah. is catching up yeah yeah i remember you guys were on a ton of uh, golf yeah. courses and all that jazz. so yeah that's cool so mm -hmm. i've heard nothing but good results this i haven't talked to you in a few weeks or no a couple months i've heard nothing but good results so far we're Walmart. having a good year yeah yeah that's what you know yeah everyone i've talked to has had great results i think the only damn thing that keeps some of them from like giving back really good results, just poor testing. Mm -hmm. they, they don't test very good on their own. <laughs> Did you guys yeah. see that too, Bodie, on your guys? You, you know, I know you guys yeah. do extensive in-house, but. Yeah, we do a lot, a lot from, of our from the soil and tissue side of it, but guys that set up trials, like we had some this year that we got all the way through taking soils and tissues and guys like, oh, I forgot to tell you that we split a hybrid over there. Uh, so in the treated is one, the entry, it's like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. 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 I know Dave, Dave's always on our guys about trying to do good trout, but it seems like too, like Jr. and the guys down South, you know, he just, I don't know. Some of the guys don't get as good at trials as some of the guys up North and maybe to the East. It feels like, I don't know. It's just weird. We need to have stand more standardized. It, it could be. Or something. And it, well, yeah, JR's got some guys that don't do any check plots. They want to use their neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's where it gets nuts. Yeah. So. Mitch, you on the line? Yeah, so KB, you, you KB, hear KB, that too. I am here. <laughs> All right, Mitch, what's happening, buddy? How are you? Oh, hey, I just pulled over uh, alongside the road here in southern Minnesota and looking forward to talking to you. Good deal, buddy. What have you been doing? Just out. Rounding out more business? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all about selling right now. Yeah, you guys have been busy. We, yeah. we were just talking, Mitch. Mitch, we were just talking about trying to get <laughs> producers or guys to, to do good test plotting and everything. I'm sure you know, for everyone who doesn't know, Mitch used to be running uh, Winfield North American, and uh, now he's a CEO at Maristem. So, Bodie Kitchell's on the phone or on the line. Dave Stark with Organics, Todd, Jordan, and myself, Mitch. So hey guys. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you remember uh, trying to get producers to do good test plotting, don't you? Oh yeah, right. The companies <laughs> out there you hire to do it. Otherwise, you just yeah. go bonkers. Yeah, I hear you. 
That's what it seems like. Yeah. Isn't it? There's some good yeah. testing companies out there that aren't crazy that will do replicated trials for you and they own their own equipment and they'll run all over God's creation doing them. You get good data that way. Counting on a farmer to do it's pretty tough. Is yeah. that what, is that what you guys are doing? Are you paying someone to do it, Mitch? Yeah, that's what we do. There's a good group out of Indiana called uh, uh, Ad, Advantage Advance. Uh, it's led by a guy named Kessberg. Oh, Advanced Agrolytics. Great, yeah, Advanced Agrolytics. They do really good trial work, and it's all done right. Yeah, Bodie, aren't you guys in with them? Don't you guys do stuff with them? No, I'm I'm familiar with most of those guys uh, that are a oh, part okay. of that from a previous life. They're with uh, okay. 365. Agreements. Okay, Bodie, you must work for Monsanto then. I did. Yep, I did. What was you doing for him? Uh, I was an account manager for the channel brand in north central Indiana. So from South Bend down to Indianapolis, east and west. Super, super. I, I used to uh, have a lot of fun with the Monsanto guys. I don't know how much fun they're having right now. <laughs> oh, I don't yeah. know. Well, their CEO, he gave up, it looks like. So <laughs> you just see the CEO resigned hey, a bear? No. See that? Really? Yeah. Is that recently? Yeah, I just read it on the newswire this morning. I woke up to it. It was on all the news pubs. Yeah, go on. Yeah, he didn't get fired. He had a four-year contract, it said, and he resigned before the end of his contract. He must be one miserable son of a gun. Well, it'd be hard not to. Oh, yeah. yeah. How would you like to answer your investors every day on that $66 billion spend? Well, I think the guys at Monsanto ought to be like national salespeople of the century. Oh, yeah. You got to have those guys were always good. I mean, I bought over a billion dollars of stuff a year off of them at Winfield, and they were the best in the business. Yeah, but I mean, to swindle bear for all that money. <laughs> it was pretty good. You and Brett. I think I'm going to be quiet. Out of the law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey Mitch. Uh, Dave yes, was sir. one of their main Dave was one of their main research or uh main scientists at Monsanto, one of the guys. Dave, oh. tell him what you did. Yes, yeah, so I I'd started cloning plant genes in the 1980s and uh was on the global technology leadership team for about a decade. I was on the global corporate affairs team for quite a number of years, helped. I was on the vegetable seed leadership team, global strategy. Cool. I mean, I was a vice president for 18 years of my 26-year career. Awesome. And my last job was going to be competitor licensing. So I would have been one of the people doing the failed Syngenta acquisition and then the Bayer takeover, and my life would have been hell. <laughs> so I retired. Yeah, it, it really was. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I retired from Winfield five years ago, not by choice. I got a good case of cancer and about took me out of the game. And then I got cured back in 18 and I started this company. Yeah, for sure. So, well, um, where are you? 
KDT. Let's talk biological. I hear you, buddy. I hear you. Jordan, what do we got? Let's kick some things off here and get it rolling. Yeah. Um, I guess first is obviously input prices, fertilizers, all that. Um, that madness still going on, it seems like. Um, I know a lot of you guys are talking about, I was talking to Dave and I'm talking with Bodie too, on just how biologicals can start to replace some of those costs. And you can start using biologicals instead of fertilizers or not using as much fertilizers. Um, what, what are we thinking on that end? Are we gaining, are you guys gaining more traction because of this uh, input madness or uh, what are guys liking or what results are you guys seeing from, uh, we just got done with harvest, so. Jordan, I think the, I think the revelation is this new technology is here to stay. Uh, I've been playing around with it for 30 years. I mean, I started selling soybean inoculants out of Purdue 30 years ago. Uh, this new generation innovation is going to change the way people farm. It's going to change your tillage practices. It's going to change your fertility practices. It's going to change your disease management. It's going to change your weed pressure. It's going to change the way you market carbon. I think these biologicals carry a more powerful punch in innovation than chemistry did in the 60s and biotech trades did in the 90s. Um, we're on the verge of another massive technology shift in production agriculture. These bugs, they, they do miracles. It's as simple as that. I just walked out of the field in southern Minnesota, and the farmer's need is jaws on the ground. I mean, 225 bushel corn, and we blasted the residue out of the field in three weeks and delivered him back $60 worth of nitrogen out of his plant residue. We did it for 12 bucks an acre. That's $48 incremental value for a $12 spend on just fertilizer that you already got that you can either put back in the ground or you can gas it off as carbon into the atmosphere. When you use biological leaks or crop residue, you mineralize all the carbon back into the soil. So your net neutral carbon emission, your carbon sequesters corn while the crop's growing, and then you put a biological and it won't gas out back in the sky. The carbon goes back in the soil as fertilizer. Fascinating. Yeah, Bodie, you guys saying the same? Is when you when you when you eat that residue, you're eating the disease that's bound up in the residue. I'm not saying it gets rid of fungicides. I'm not at all making that claim. But you're gonna you're gonna reduce your disease pressure. Say if you got white mold, that sclerotinia that's inside that residue, those bugs are gonna eat it, which is gonna lower your white mold threshold levels the following year because you're going to eat the sclerotinia out of your residue. But if you've got weed seeds on the ground, it eats the weed seeds. It doesn't get rid of herbicides, but it'll reduce your weed pressure dramatically because there's no weed seeds there to germinate. It'll take a tillage patch. If you're on a two-pass tillage patch today, spending 20 bucks an acre blowing carbon up in there, you can take out a tillage patch because the bugs will do everything you're your uh, tillage input will do. 
when you look at it, it's a hundred dollar an acre value driven by new innovation for a twelve dollar spend. It's fascinating. Bodie, what are you guys seeing? Tell us some of what you're seeing. Same thing. Yeah, I, I think we see similar things. Um, you know, we t we've taken it a step further, I guess, and and really going to prove it out through the soil and tissue program, and and really sitting down and having the conversation with a customer from day one, dollar one spend, and, and putting programs together for these guys. Um, you know, one of the big things that we talk about internally is managing expectations. And the one thing that we really want to do is make sure that we don't overhype this technology. Um, we understand their capabilities. I would say there's so much uh, through the biological uh, processes that we don't understand even yet today, which makes that fascinating to know where we're at today, where we were 10 years ago and where we may be 10 years from now. Um, but to be able to sit down and have a conversation with a grower and, and show him how to replace his fertility dollars and not miss a beat and continue to push production, that, that's really where we're at. And so the, the adoption has been, um, honestly, it's been fascinating to see. It's been extremely, extremely well and quickly uh, adopted. Uh, we had some growers this year that have been on the program um, you know, for six years. We had a guy that had a 260 acre field in Northwest Iowa that went 302 bushels across the scales. So, you know, the stuff is working. Um, you know, it's, it's fascinating and what it's doing, but what even more than that, when you can show the grower that the years and years of, of we'll call it traditional agronomy, what it's taught us, um, you know, I'm not saying that it's wrong, uh, but I'm telling you that there's a severe dysfunction in the way that we've been taught to think about our soils in a chemistry only composition, if you will. So I think it's, it's refreshing. I think that um, go, going back to the managing expectations, I think that every company that's in this space today, if they come out here and, and put some really, really, really bold claims and nothing to back it up, the biological industry will, will quickly turn and go the other way because yes, it is fascinating. Yes, there is so much that they're doing, but you have companies out here that maybe are putting unrealistic or BS uh, claims on there and somebody has a negative experience with it. And all of a sudden, every biological, I don't care whether it's organics, whether it's biodyne, whether it's, it's Meristem, whether it's, I don't care. Like, I don't care who it is you're not going to get the opportunity to get back on that acre. And it may not be anything that you did, but another company did it for you. Uh, I, I would agree with that. I would agree. Um, we're seeing the same thing, you know, just in ag tech startups that, that roll out or come out a little early, we worry how that will play out for the rest of some of our ag tech startup investments uh, when they go public. You know, if you get a bad taste in the mouth of the, Wall Street investor, things uh, may not go so well for a future valuation. So, yeah, it's interesting, Bodie, to say that. I, I would agree. I would concur. Yeah. Go ahead, Mitch. You have some? No, I, what I've learned in the last three years since really immersing into this innovation is he's exactly right. What way we've been thinking about agronomy and production agriculture, we've been kind of missing it. There's more to soil biology than I think any of us ever realized 10 years ago. And the innovation coming out of these insights on how to make biologicals work is fascinating. I remember 
go back 21 years, I was sitting in Indianapolis. I was the product manager for a product called Lord's Band 15G. And I saw this product at Mitta Cloford coming, and I thought, there's no way in hell with an ounce and a half of Mitta Cloford, they're going to do what I do with seven and a half pounds of Lord's Band 15G. Well, I tell you, they did. <laughs> and then... Your buddy from Montana, he can come out with corn rootworm corn, and I found myself with a product that was no longer saleable. That's innovation. And the innovation in this biological pipeline is more exciting than anything we've seen out of biotechnology or synthetic chemistry. I never thought I'd get yeah, products doing what they're doing in my career. Yeah, Dave, you kind of talked about that. We go out and uh, had a few of our conferences, how you guys were focused more on above ground than below ground, and now it's kind of shifted, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So especially when you look at how soil gets built, where, and, uh, you know, I like to nerd out because I am a a scientist, and you can't really get that out of you no matter what you do. Um, But about two-thirds of the soil organic matter and soil carbon actually comes from roots. It's not from the stuff we leave on top. Now, if you've got healthy soil and earthworms, they help carry it down, that's all good. But, but there's a lot of studies that show that. And another thing that blew my mind recently is um, a group did what's called a meta-study. And you may see these in medicine. They look at the work of published studies on a topic and then try to summarize what everyone's saying. So this study looked at 230 published studies about nitrogen efficiency in corn, rice, and small grains. And what they found is of the nitrogen we apply in a given year, only 36 to 42% of that actually meets that crop's nitrogen needs. Most of it comes from soil organic nitrogen. So what is that? That's a scientist's way of saying that microbes, (laughs) the amino acids and proteins that microbes get from eating roots, eating fertilizer and such. So it's actually the microbes that feed the plant a lot more than we ever thought. And the roots are so important because they feed the microbes, which in turn then becomes soil, organic matter. We got to figure out how to monetize that because, you know, that's putting a lot of carbon in the ground as well as making the guy's soil better. Yeah, true. Very true. Yeah. Jordan? What, just bouncing off the carbon. Um, are we thinking biologicals are going to help produce more carbon? Absolutely. I think, I think it'll do both. Uh, I think you're going to you're going to see it work on both sides. You're going to you're going to see it build carbon. Definitely, you're going to build carbon in the soil, but you're going to sequester carbon at the same time from emitting into the atmosphere. So. While you're building carbon in the soil, taking it out of the atmosphere at the same time. Yeah. Todd, you seeing the same from Todd, you seeing the same from the carbon credit guys talking biologicals? Well, I'm, I'm seeing that no one knows what uh, how to measure carbon because it's like blood sugar changes every day. And, and the more I get into that, Kevin, the more it sounds like it's just it's a it's just it's nuts. And I see Bodie shaking his head up and down because. You know, maybe a marketing game right now, but yeah, and, no, and these guys don't know what's uh, what's right or wrong, and, and moving forward in that direction, I'll think, yeah. So, 
I think the other side of that is, is that I think, I think we're all lying to ourselves if we don't sit here today and address the fact that as you have a bigger and more diverse microbial population, you're going to consume carbon as well. So you may not see this huge net net positive gain that you want to see, but you may have a healthier soil because you have that much more biological activity. So that's, you know, one of the things, and we've had a lot of carbon companies that have come through this door that I've asked them that question. One, do we have a standard metric that we're going to use to test this, right? Number two, are we going to be okay looking at the results if they don't necessarily show you what you think that you're expecting to see? Because you can see a soil and a system that has, that has biological activity that is absolutely humming, but you may not see this massive carbon number that you hoped or wanted to see. The reality is, is this system is extremely complex. And as you create more food, you're going to be able to sustain bigger and more diverse microbial populations and they have to eat too. And it's not all just coming, coming from the photosynthates of the plant. Mm -hmm. And it, it is highly variable. It also depends upon the production practice. Cause if you till the ground, then you're getting a burst of air and you get a lot of bacteria and they will absolutely eat that soil organic carbon. Um, if you don't, you get a lot more fungi. There are a lot more cellulosics. That carbon is more stable. So it, it, you're right. It's highly variable. But what it all means, and, and you know, you brought this up earlier, Kevin, is fertilizer prices. Because there's lots of studies that say you've got healthy soil that's humming with biology. You get more units of corn produced per input. So you, we're going to be able to make that fertilizer work a dollar that work a lot better when we've got the microbes. So you don't have to put as much in, but you can get more out all while building your soil, not tearing it down. The key I agree that's that, Kevin, that's the lens that Nariston has is what he just said. It's not a it's about remaining carbon neutral from an emission standpoint and building that carbon in the soil. Because as you take that carbon level up in the soil, you naturally get more fertility to drive the plant. Mm -hmm. So if you can stay carbon neutral and build your carbon in the soil, you increase productivity without gassing off into the atmosphere. Yeah. Todd, what were you saying? I think the key to some of the stuff is that these guys, they simply have to know their, their numbers have to be a baseline because I'm talking to guys today that are, you know, using, it works one year, doesn't work the next, nobody knows. And that's what attracted me to you guys, Bodie, is you guys seem to have some sort of a equation or system in place to at least point somebody in the right direction. Because as we look at adoption rates, and we're all in on this biological, there's no question about that, but I'm tired of hearing guys that tried it one year and, and it didn't work because, uh, you know, they don't know why they, they don't know if it, if the right biological was put on the right, on the right course. Uh, not to mention, I was talking to a guy that does research plots today and they do, they've been doing a lot of these nitrogen fixation things. And he's like, you know, we're just showing that it's one year out of four that it's working. So my question was, you know, why is that? What are you guys seeing? But there's the answer that I think that's cutting back on adoption of what's the right one. Cause one good year, it works and one it doesn't. Is that, is that a fair statement, buddy? You know, I think, I think as a whole, it, it is probably accurate, right? And I think it goes back to the very start of the conversation with how do people set up plots, right? How are they setting up plots? And, and really, 
take it one step further. And I talked about managing expectations. What are people looking to accomplish with that? I think that's a question that, that enough companies aren't asking. What are you looking to get? Because if you're looking to get, use a biological, are you looking for straight up yield? Is that the only way that you're going to measure profitability or ROI? If it is, that's a completely different conversation than are we going to take 20 bucks an acre off of your phosphorus? Are we going to take 10 bucks an acre off your nitrogen? Are we going to take 15 bucks an acre off your potassium as far as inputs go? If that's the case, that product paid for itself before the combine ever even thinks about getting into the field. But what are guys looking for? And, and that's really what we're trying to hone in on is we're not backing away from the yield conversation because we've got a lot of data that shows very strongly with the combination of our products, what we see. However, we need to have the conversation that understanding what you're trying to accomplish. And that's really what we do with the soil and tissue. Because if you want to talk about mineralization, you want to talk about nutrient efficiencies, you want to talk about nutrient uptake, I'll, I'll go toe to toe with anybody in this landscape, commercial, big agronomy, as far as putting on 200 pounds of map dap, 200 pounds of pot. Yeah, let's go. We'll, we'll have that conversation because we can show it and it's repeatable. Yeah, I think I think Bodie hit the hit the nail on the head there. And I, I think adoption rates there with the biologicals, but maybe on the repeat business, a lot of guys like Bodie said, aren't aren't repeating because they feel like it's some type of magic fairy dust. You just sprinkle on there and you all of a sudden have 20, 20 bushels better yield. I mean, I think that's some of the companies are marketing in it that way, I feel like, and that's how people are wanting it done. And I think there's work you got to put into it and it's not that easy, just like anything else in life or everybody would be doing it. Yeah, Jordan, at Mariston, we don't sell the yield. We sell substitution benefits. We talk about the value of fertilizer you're picking up. We talk about taking a tillage pass out and for residue breakdown, we added our value calculator up that way. It's not a yield-driven calculator. It's you can grow 220 bushels of corn with less N, P, and K and less trips across the field. You're on mute. Yeah, I see that. I'm on mute. Hey, let's back up one second. Mitch, I know... Mitch and I and Dave and I, I haven't talked to Buddy about, it, but we talked about this <laughs> behind the scenes, off the record, we'll call it. <laughs> I think a lot of this stems from how we've conditioned the farmer from previous selling, whether when you guys were at Monsanto or Winfield or wherever you may have been at. I mean, Dave said the same thing. Hey, I didn't want to join this organic thing because I wasn't going to be associated with snake oil. And, and Mitch said the same thing sitting in my, uh, in my condo, we were shooting shit. And Mitch is like, nah, you know, I don't know about all this. You know, I mean, we had to steer clear of a lot of that, Chad. And I, you know, I think it's important that, you know, hell, the guy's got to realize, I mean, you, you folks were in business trying to sell yield, higher yield, sell more inputs, sell, you know, more, more things. Now all of a sudden that's kind of changing. And like Mitch is saying, I mean, I think it's a reallocation of input expenses to try and get a bigger bang for your buck is what you're preaching uh, to reallocate it in different ways to, to maybe capture some of the 
additional benefits and gains that we're seeing from carbon or other types of plays where we can make more money or, or additional money, I should say. So Mitch, tell them what, you know, what kept some things out of the channel, if you can. I mean, what is your opinion when you were at, and Dave will say the same thing. I know. I mean, you both say the exact same thing. What, what kept a lot of new innovation or technology out of the channel to the farmer? Every, every, every company has an income statement, right? Yeah. And you run your income statement off your products and services. Take me back in 21 years ago. I was managing Moore's Band 15D. I woke up, up every morning hoping that Montana would sail in corn rootworm and a culprit would not work as a seed treatment. Because when those two technologies come to market, my product's income statement was going to go to hell. So I ran around. On deer to case. I tried keeping insecticide planter boxes on planters. I did everything I know to do to protect that innovation, that old product, because I wanted to protect the income statement. Well, if you're if you're in the business of selling synthetic chemicals today, and a biological comes along, and you you don't have the lead position on it, and it competes against your portfolio, what are you going to do? going to compete against it and hope like hell you can keep it from coming to market because if it gets to market you're going to get your ass kicked that's that's the reason biologicals today are not being taken up by big distribution there's too much to lose and not enough to gain what's in it for an ag retailer for farmers to reduce their fertilizer consumption by 20 percent what's in it is they got 20 percent less tons which just anchored their income statement, right? You don't do things like that. You try and protect your current income statement, your current portfolio, because you want to remain healthy. And when competitive threats come in, you fight them. And that's what biologicals are to the channel today. It's a huge threat. It's going to displace revenue out there today because you're going to be able to substitute biologicals that do the same thing as products we use today at a lower price point. It may not give you more yield, but you're gonna you're gonna be able to grow an acre of corn for less money than you did before. Yeah. Like buying a metacloper for two bucks a unit, but it, back in the day I sold Moore's band for twelve bucks an acre. A right. better product come out that was ten dollars an acre cheaper. What was gonna happen? I was gonna get whipped. <laughs> Yeah. And Dave, the same you, things happen with biological. Yeah. It, Dave, when you were at Monsanto, what were you thinking when when you left? You were approached about it. Yeah. So my my experience, uh, and I'm not just you know picking on what Monsanto was doing, but across the industry, is that the, the science was really poorly developed. There was a lot of variability stuff out there that was snake oil. Um, and even the things that weren't, if you had to hire a statistician to tell you if you had a benefit or not, you've lost. Because you know how many, how many salespeople bring a statistician with them when they go visit a guy and talk about a new product? Uh, the, the, the benefit's not there. It's, and also on top of it, complexity. Think of 
the sales point on a herbicide or a seed or something, those things are pretty easy to sell. But microbials and biologicals, that's not a sound bite. I mean, even on the science isn't developed, so it's harder to sell. So you just have so many headwinds. Snake oil, something that's hard to sell, that's poorly understood and doesn't always deliver phenomenal results. So for me, I was like, I got other stuff to do. What do I want to do, you know, whole Gannix for? And then I started meeting Barrett's customers, you know, some of the best turf names in the industry. And they told me I was wrong. Uh, the, the results they saw, cutting fertilizer, cutting water, cutting fungicide applications. I thought, man, I always thought soil health was no-till and Roundup Ready. And I was wrong. It's the biology. <clears throat> True. So yep. makes I think there's a couple things, if I could add some things in, I think there's a couple sure. things. I think there is, there is still something to be said about doing what's right for your customer. And um, the, we'll call it big ag for lack of a better word, but big ag is, is more focused on treating symptoms rather than finding out what the problem is. Um, and, and they're really good at that. Like they, they, I mean, that, that's just a reality. Um, that's not pulling any punches. It's just what I've seen. I lived it. I was in ag retail. Um, you know, you, you thought that because you were taught that removal rate was as simple, as simple as, you know, I had 220 bushels and I removed this. And so I have to put this back on. And it's not until you actually have the proof that you start to understand that that isn't how this thing works. And I came at it from a completely different perspective. I farm, uh, I have farmed with my dad, my grandpa, um, ever since I was a little guy. And um, I don't have, I don't have a scientist uh, background. I don't, I don't come from that. I came from being an independent crop consultant, taking soils and tissues and understanding that there was a severe disconnect as far as what we thought we understood about our soils and what was actually going on. And, you know, when I, I got, I mean, I was fortunate to get hooked up with a guy out of South Dakota who was looking at soils from chemical, physical, and biological, not just one of the three. And you think about it, a farmer's going to spend $700 an acre on an input of corn and he's looking at just the chemical composition of his soil. That's it. He's going to look at one third of that soil to make a, a $700 an acre investment. And the reality is, is what we do as far as growing crops, 96.6 and 3.4, right? And that's what this is. But we spend all of our time talking about the 3.4 and not understanding how to be more efficient with the 96.6. So some of these trials that don't end up the way in yield that we want to see or we don't, we, we, it's because we're not looking at the entire thing. 96.6 is carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. That's what's driving the majority of this yield. 3.4% comes from fertility. And so, yeah, we can sit here and we can talk about just fertility because it's the easiest thing to measure. And the hardest thing to measure is measuring the carbon, hydrogen, oxygen of your plants. But the reality is, is that's what's driving a significant amount of this yield. So you have to have, it's not just about nitrogen. It's not just about phosphorus. It's not just about potassium. If you have ratios, relationships that are way out of whack in a plant, you don't have a healthy plant, meaning that you don't have the full photosynthetic capability that's happening with that plant. And it doesn't matter how much fertility you made available, how much fertility you applied, you have dysfunction in a plant and you're not going to see the yield that you want to see. Yeah. So that leads, us, that leads us to the fact that uh, now we got listeners that have heard all this stuff. They want to get into it. And I, I, 
I aligned this with like the guys who use cover crops and it doesn't work for one year because they didn't know what their resource need was. So a guy wants to get into this, buddy. And, and Dave, to your point, you know, it's hard to sell. Well, they're coming asking about it now. So it ain't hard to sell anymore. So what is the process? How do I figure out? So I'm not, if I go to my retailer, who's in a big production ag mode mindset, he's going to sell me the biggest margin product he can. How does a guy step into the game? Man, I think there's so many, there's so many ways to step in, but, but there's also so much noise in the marketplace. So ask questions. Like I got, I was, I was interviewed in an article of crop life and, and this was one of the things that I talked about in that deal was ask questions, ask questions, but also understand what you're looking to accomplish. I think there's so many people that are inundated and they're hit. I mean, there's salespeople all over, right? And we know how successful that, that those are, those salespeople are for our companies, okay? No, no bones about it. But the reality is there's so many of them that are stopping on that grower and they're hearing pieces of different information. And what I have challenged all growers, all of them, is... First, understand what you want to accomplish. What are you looking? Is it just yield? Okay, then you need to talk to somebody that's going to show you a wide array, a lot of replications that's going to show you yield. Is it talking about efficiencies? Can I pick up efficiencies on nitrogen, on phosphorus? Ask them for the data. Like, don't, don't give me some research of here's 220 bushel residue. And so there's 90 pounds of N and there's 35 pounds of phosphorus and 220 pounds of K. Prove it to me. Show me with your data where you're making that nutrition available. Show me how, and, and we'll do that. And, and that's what I will tell you. If it's us, that's great. If we have that opportunity to, to work with you and to, to, to walk you through it, I, I welcome that. But I would challenge anybody, like ask for the data, ask for the proof, ask somebody to walk you through how their products are working, period. Mm -hmm. And I agree. And, and to build on that, think about soil. Um, healthy soil has over a billion individuals, thousands of species of bacteria, fungi, protists in, in every teaspoon. And they're there for a reason. It's an engine. It's not a component. And that engine is going to not only, it's the basis for the value of your land, which is your legacy, but it's also how everything works to, to produce that crop that creates your income. So you need the biological diversity. You need the, the, the food in there to work most efficiently. So everything you said, Bodie, I totally agree. And um, understand that if you're being sold something that doesn't reflect the diversity that's in the soil, then you may have results that are more limited. So really ask questions about what is it I'm buying? How do I know it's alive? What's it doing in the soil? Because when I started with the whole organics, a lot of that wasn't known. But for all of us, a lot of it is now. We've come a long way. Yeah, the way we test our nutrient release is we've got a product that's oxy composer. And we take plastic cartons to the farm and the farmer just takes their crop residue and puts it in a, a plastic bin, sets it next to their shop or in their drive or wherever. And we tell them to come back in 60 days and <coughs> the water that's in that container that's went through the residue, the rainwater, and then we use resin balls and send it in and we get an actual number back on how much 
fertility has been released out of that farmer's corn stalks on his farm. So I, yes. I think, you know, I think that's one thing, if you want my honest opinion, and, and if, if you don't, I guess you can kick me off of this Zoom. Um, that's one thing that's a legit, that's a, that's, a, that's a good step. It's a good step. But the reality is, is nobody's farming in a milk carton. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that negatively, but we have to understand with biology that we make, we make something available in the fall. If we don't have roots there to intercept what we made plant available, it's going to complex right back again. And so that, that, that's fine. Like that's, I mean, the overarching message is, is, is your, that's not a lie, right? But the reality is, is what's actually being made available through the growing season is what's more important to me. And again, I, I farm. So these are the questions that I asked our owners when I came here. And, and these are the things that I wanted to know because sitting in, I don't care if it's a paper bag, a plastic bag in residue, that's fine. But I want to know what's going to be made available to my crop next year when I'm growing, because that's what matters to me. Yep. And you know, to that point, roots only explore a little less than 1% of all the available soil that they could reach. And a lot of the nutrients have to be close to a root or in contact to be taken up. So roots are everything because that's how you get more nutrient uptake. And also some of the symbiotic fungi like mycorrhizae really expand that effect of root area uh, quite a bit and solubilize nutrients like phosphorus. You know, a lot of ground has 50, 100 years of phosphorus in it, but only less than a pound an acre is in a plant available form. It's gotta be unlocked by a microbe. Same with potassium. Yeah, I uh, uh hey, learned you look at a micro you look at a superpower microscope that I've looked at with biologicals that are enhancing uh fertilizer. Pick the one on the market, but I always thought that those root hairs were pulling nutrition in. Root hairs actually are pushing nutrition out of the plant back into root zone. If you pull the microbes into the plant and they're loaded up with phosphorus, that plant will shoot that phosphorus back out that root hair. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's good information. Back to Todd's question where Todd says, you know, hey, we're all, but what do we do? Tell me what to do next. How do I get started? You know, I, I just think if the producers are going to ask that question, I mean, put your farm up for sale and get out of the business. I hate that shit. I hate hearing it from Todd. I hate hearing it from everyone. That's stupid. I hate hearing farmers call me and ask me, hey, tell me where to sell my corn. Hey, tell me where to sell my soybeans. Get out. Be done. Stop. Don't do this anymore. I mean, if you're looking for a Everyone bitches and doesn't want to go to the doctor. I mean, if you're looking for a pain pill, do something different. I get on my kids like it's no tomorrow. I just think it's silly to, I'm not going to put down big ag because I think we've ripped them a little bit. And Todd's saying they're only going to sell you the highest gross margin. I got a lot of good friends at Nutrient, Simplot, Wilbur Ellis and other places. And I don't think they do that. I think the farmer's lazy and wants them to give him a pain pill and tell him what to do and what to put on the field. And that's Maybe. where- that's where, that's where the problem lies. I think, and I think I'm just saying, 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, but here, I, here's I, the thing, though. Bodie, you got to agree with me on this one thing. You have to, you have to be willing to say, hey, I think this is where agriculture is going. I think this is where farming is headed. I think this is where the government is taking the rules and regulations. I would like to leave my farm to my kids. If that's the case, you have to define and say, listen, intelligence, it, this is the same in my world of trading. There's, there's no, there's no, guys, there's no, you want to know why the best traders are younger kids mostly or younger people? Because the shit they can learn, unlearn, relearn, unlearn, and relearn. As we get older, we don't do the unlearn. We only, we learn and we stop unlearning. And then we dig in like crazy. So I, when I agree a hundred percent, Kevin, I, that you're, you're right. You are talking exactly what I talk about. Well, here's what I say is you don't know what you don't know. It doesn't make you wrong or ignorant. You just don't know. And, and, and for a long time, like we have accepted the entire industry has accepted tri-state fertilizer wrecks coming from Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio state. And we've accepted it. Right. And the reality is, is that agronomy as a whole wants to simplify a very complex system because it's the way that we can give answers and the reality is there's some things we don't know like we just don't know and 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 i can't i struggle to say that the farmer is lazy only because of this my grandpa's 84 years old and he just retired this year okay and he he started the farm from nothing from from zero no acres and he built the farm and he maintained the farm and and my dad wanted him to farm as long as he wanted to farm He's been successful. He, in his own right, he's been successful because he hasn't had to sell the farm. He hasn't went bankrupt, and he was able to farm and 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 ride that ride that pony out right into retirement. So I don't want to say that he's that they're that they're lazy and that they're just looking for the easy button. But for years, it's what they've been taught and it's what they've been told. And I will say a hundred percent that your comment at the very end is 100% accurate, is that as we get older, we get more set in our ways and we're not willing to learn, relearn, unlearn, and go through that process. That's the part I'm calling lazy. It's that part. It certainly isn't the physical work ethic. My goodness, there's no one works. You know, I, I got that. But I'm just saying when, for some reason, myself included, when a guy rolls on TV in a suit and tie, you want to give him a soapbox that he knows something about the market and that you're going to give him the one up to listen to where he's going to tell you to sell your crops. Well, you don't have to do, I mean, that's the old school way. The guy pulls up in a truck. I mean, from the, from a big ag, it doesn't necessarily mean he knows exactly what's right for your farm and your Hills or your terraces or some of your Valley. Like Dave said, everything's different on and on everyone's farm, just like marketing could be different. I mean, I may have three daughters getting married and a wife with cancer and all kinds of things going on. My marketing and how I sell my crops is going to be vastly different than a guy that's sitting cash flush and he can hold for two years. So it's all the same on what you're talking about, Mitch, Dave, everyone. I just think there's a ton and ton of variables. I don't think it's big ag that's given anything a bad name. I think it's big ag that, like you said, Bodie, has created some cookie cutter programs that those cookie cutter programs are easier to sell at scale. And we as farmers have allowed that to be presented as the model and we've bitten. And we don't want to let go of it because it's really difficult 
to unlearn and try to learn all this new, I mean, to put in a test plot and run a hundred acres and try this and try that and try this. I mean, that's, you know, Hey, you got help that hell lucky if they show up half the time, not alone, put it in, put it in the sprayer. Right. And they're tearing up spray rigs and everything else. It's so I got it. I mean, I'm a hundred percent. I don't want to change on any of it. Jordan called me last night about some crazy wacko cryptocurrencies and Roblox and these things. I don't even know what the hell we're talking about. Metaverse and well, yeah, I think you know, Bodie, I, 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 I think Bodie had another good yeah. view on uh, that. This is how they were taught, and this is all they know. And we're finally, I think, at a stage now of where so much information is available. And I was talking with some younger guys uh, last week at a deal I went to, and uh, they're just chomping at the bit to get in there. Um, and do what they want to do and try some of this new stuff. And I think they obviously they have a backseat approach because they don't have any say on the farm. But I think as we, as I get older and my generation starts to take over, um, we're going to see a lot of changes. Even I, I, I'm seeing a lot of guys making huge differences that don't know anything about farming and they're just now getting in the space. And it's just because I think no one's holding them back. Um, I was talking with this guy well, down in Georgia. He his dad was a rice farmer forever, and he didn't want to work on his farm. And he uh, went off, did his own thing, and now he's doing pecans. And I think he's just killing it. So I think it's we're just in a weird stage now of where information is just a lot more available, technology is a lot more available, and people can kind of do what they want to do. And like Bodie said, just like his grandpa, he's just doing what he's taught and. I don't think that's enough to get by anymore. And you know, Todd, to answer well, your you question, think... is, is I, I encourage them to try a biological, make sure it's not one strain of a fungus or a bacteria, you know, a consortium, you know, like we sell, like you sell, Bodhi. And then go out with your eyes, because with microbials, you'll see differences. Dig up roots, you'll see a difference in, in the root mass, the root hairs, the nodulation. Look at the, the, the brace roots, the crown roots. Look at the strength of the stalk, uh, the length of, and diameter of the ear, the, the flower set, the pod set. Don't just rely on, you know, somebody that has an uncalibrated yield monitor to tell you if it worked or not. I mean, that, that's, that's what gives me my gray hair. Yeah, and let me be real clear here, because uh, Kevin likes to, Kevin and, and I do this all the time, but, uh, and I know his position, I certainly wasn't, saying i was making a point that guys you got to have a mentor you got to have an educator somebody I mean, kevin would have put Bodie out of a out of a job if we all did it with that full war philosophy someone's got to be there to help guys along the way and that's why there's new businesses and businesses i'm just saying there's questions to be asked and i guess that's what are the right ones because Bodie yourself said there's there's right claim we got to make the right claims and there's a lot of false claims so i'm trying to discern so guys are listening today aren't going to hear just a bunch of arguments they're gonna like all right I now know I need to call somebody and ask the right questions, whether it's big ag or not. I say go out and do it. I say go out and do it. I say go do it. I listened to all kinds of theories on every business I've ever started and every business I've ever backed. Wasn't until I went and did it that I got kicked right in the nuts, and then I figured it out, hey, that's bad. <laughs> well, and then I'm like, Damn, I can't do that again. That didn't work so well. I got to try something different. So I mean, I just don't. I just don't believe it. I think you have to get a general overview of macro landscape and say, if this is right for me, do I really think this is where we're headed? And if it is, you got to be trying some things. It's the key is fail quick, fail quick and rebound. Try a few things, take good tests, look at the roots like Dave's saying, 
dig in as deep as you can. Try another test spot. Try another. Kevin, test. Keep moving. Kevin, you wouldn't you wouldn't be where you were. You would not be where you were for one for the mentors that when your life, when you're trying to figure out trading, all I'm saying is no way, when you no get way. into it, no these way. guys need to, these guys, you said yourself, I made great relationships. I did this. You came, you brought the work ethic and you made great relationships. I'm saying go find a relationship like a Bodie and find out how to get started. I'm not saying don't do it and get answers. Go figure it out, but have a Bodie or a Dave or a Mitch in your life to help. That's all I'm saying. No one's asking the right questions or why is everybody I mean, not trying? I think his argument still is, I mean, just like the, uh, guy around my age you had on the uh, webinar a couple weeks ago that Mitchell I mean he didn't have yeah. a mentor to get started his dad was said, yeah go nuts dude do, do whatever and it wasn't until he started to do it that he did get a mentor and he did and he got kicked in the nuts and he's like I need to find people that know something that I don't and I need to learn something different so I can keep moving on with this I mean well, he a lot of guys did it first and then went and found the information I, I get it. Like, listen, everything that's been talked on, on both sides from Kevin and from Todd's side, like I get it, but we are, I mean, this, this is like high table stakes poker here. Like we're not talking about, you know, messing with, I mean, if you had a conversation and I'll be honest, like I, I think of my grandpa and, and my grandpa and his adaptation to biology and, and it's probably greater because I'm his grandson um, than if somebody else pulled up on the farm. But if somebody rolled up and said, you can cut out a hundred pounds of map this year and use some biologicals. And we're going to show you that you're fine. My grandpa's probably looking at that guy, maybe halfway crazy saying what in the world. So that's where I like, I want to make sure like from a grower's perspective, like, what do you want to accomplish? You know, commodity prices, we got MAP that's banging on $900 a ton. You got potash that's banging on $700 a ton. Nitrogen's a dollar a pound uh, for, for Ian. Like, what do you, this is, the, in my opinion, this is the easiest time to ask yourself, what do you want out of a biological product? Because I haven't seen the biological companies, maybe some, but I haven't seen all of them that have taken a, a, a 90% price increase like the commodity fertilizer has. So really biological has stayed, the performance is going to be there. It's been proven from however many years that that company's been in business, their prices remain fairly steady. So I think now's the time that the ROI has the greatest impact or potential in this landscape that we're at today. But you as a grower, have to know your operation well enough to know what you want to accomplish. If it's yield, that's fine. Let's have this conversation. If it is nutrient efficiency and saving $20, $30, $50 an acre, that's a different conversation. And it's not that they're completely exclusive, right? Because we can talk about saving $40 or $50 an acre and still increasing yield. This isn't one or the other, but I really think that as a producer, you have to ask yourself, what do I want to accomplish with this product that I am looking at? And I think that starts to steer you to the people that you're attracted to and want to do business. Who can answer those questions for me? I, yeah, I couldn't agree more because this is the time where you know, our products are going to deliver an immediate return on investment because there's not many guys out there I've met that couldn't back off some of their NP and K and not hurt their yields at all. And I've done enough studies, you can actually have them go up. So this does not, don't look at this as a cost per acre. It's an immediate savings. I still believe that you can improve productivity in the whole time. And this is probably the most important thing. You're building your soil back. I mean, that's your long-term bank. That, that's your heritage. 
So it doesn't have to be either or anymore. Yeah, I, I think the go-to or what we've concluded, I mean, my conclusion, I've said this all along, I think people should be recognizing this is where we are headed. This is where the industry is going, improving your soil, climate change, carbon sequestering, all of those things. You have to know and see that as a business owner, a business owner. Now, from there, as a business owner, I have to go out and take chances. Life's about risk. I have to take chances and I have to take calculated chances. We just all sat here and said, every single piece of ground is different. Every hill, every terrace. Well, you're not going to pull up in a truck and tell me what's going on on my farm. And if I'm counting on someone to do that, I need to remove myself. I always told Jordan, I've had many businesses where I got too busy to count the money. Those ended badly. When, when I got too busy to count the money, I needed to exit. If you get too busy to know what's happening with your soils and checking roots and checking test plots and running new innovative type of, if you got a thousand acres, you need to be running a couple hundred or so you better be trying some things on some trials and you better be getting good, accurate testing and you better be willing to learn yourself and continue to challenge yourself. And yes, you can use resources like Dave and Bodie and Mitch, but shit, you can't expect them to come out there and just give you a, a cure-all fix million dollar recipe that's going to make you and your family a million dollars. It isn't going to happen, guys. It's, I've been smoked so many times thinking that something easy is going to come along by something somebody else has given me or told me. But shit never works. I got to do it myself. I got to get skinned up, got to wreck my bike a hundred times. I mean, it's just, it's life, right? It's same with trade, same with everything. So guys that want to sit on the sideline and read books and read articles and do all that and call people and tell them, have them tell them how to do it. Good luck. Good luck. I don't see any of that's happening at my best producers. No, they're looking at where the government's going. They're looking at what's happening with the overall landscape and they're trying to pivot and make some shifts. And they'll all tell you, they've all made a lot of mistakes in the process, but that's, that's what it's going to take. That's the risk to reward that it's going to take. And I, Dave, you've heard me get on the kick and so is Mitch. Somewhere along the lines, our forefathers, someone took some big, bold risk and they didn't listen to shit. And they got out there and took some chances and took some risk. And that's how you homesteaded the land. That's how you got the farms. And that's how your first corn got grown. And that's how lots of things happened. And, you know, that that's life. And now we're going to have to do it. Or our kids are going to have to do it. I'm telling you. So that's all. I think the whole argument is, is I think you got to be proactive as a doer. And I, and I try to assemble the best guys and gals that I know in the space that people can listen to, take that knowledge and then execute. I talk about it. Shit. We were talking about Bitcoin 2012, 2013. Nobody execute. Todd came work for me. Five years ago, I told him to buy some Bitcoin. Nobody executes. You got to execute. You got to get out and try things. You got to do things. Has to happen. So when a Mitch or a Dave or Bodie or any of these guys come out, I mean, you got to be open-minded is all I'm saying. Be open-minded and willing to take some chances. And then, you know, I know it's going to be tough, but I think that's where we're headed, guys. So I think these three guys, I think Mitch and Dave and, and – uh, Bodie, I think you guys are doing awesome things. I know you're battling, you, you got to battle it all the time, but I think it's the right direction. I wouldn't be 
having you on here and wouldn't be big fans of you guys if I, if I didn't think this was what's truly best for people in the farm. So, well, yeah. Kevin, what you said is, is what Grant Wells says all the time. Like he says, trust, but verify, trust, but verify. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times from him. Trust, but verify. You have to trust. You have to put some level of trust in that person that's coming to your farm. You have to trust and believe that they are there to help your operation. But you also have to verify the things that they're telling you that they're factual. That's the reality is. Yeah. I agree. One last comment. Uh, got some brilliant scientists on this call, and I'm not a scientist. I'm an old marketer. Uh, but one thing I observed, the gentleman that used to be the run the channel business, is that Dave? Oh, I didn't know. Not me. Well, whoever came from Monsanto and ran the channel business. Why did Monsanto start channel? Because they had better germplasm or because the channel they were trying to operate in wasn't working? The reason channel come to market because the cow was turned over to ag retailers. Ag retailers did not take advantage of the germplasm technology. They'd never been in that space. To this day, they only sell 29% of the seed in the U.S. 71% still sold around the retail channel. Well, biologicals, in my opinion, and time will tell me right or wrong. I don't, I can't, I'm no prophet. But what I've seen in the last couple of years, big distribution and big retail is not going to embrace these products. And it's going to be moves like Monsanto made with channel to create new routes to market for the innovation that are gonna have to proliferate in this ecosystem called the ag supply chain before farmers ever get a good chance to see it. Because right now, the majority of the folks that are delivering agricultural products to farms are telling them this stuff snake oil. There's not a delivery mechanism. You can't go bring it to market like a new corn herbicide or soybean herbicide, and you got a ready set channel. These are very complicated scientific products, and you can't go out and say, spray 15 gallons of water and 32 ounces of Roundup, and your weeds, your fields are going to be clean. You're going to have to get intimate with that producer. And our retail channel today is intimate around turning tons of fertilizer, not intimate about soil detail on their customer farms. A new channel has to proliferate, get this technology made available to every farmer, because the three of us on the phone right now today, if we had great years, we may roll up 5% of the market between the three of us out there. 95 left hanging. We don't have the capacity to get the the rest of the market because our organizations are too small and the big boys don't want to embrace the, the biology. So until that channel gap gets filled, I think it's going to continue to be a slow game, Kevin. Yeah, I can see that. Bodie, you see the same? Um, Maybe, but maybe, maybe not as much. I, I think uh, again, we, we've seen some unbelievable growth in specifically the last two years. Um, 
I think we were up. No, but hey, hey, Bodie, hang on a second. <laughs> but you guys are intimate with the soil. You guys are intimate with your producer and his soil. Yeah. Same as Mitch is trying to say, and same with Dave. Yeah. Okay. But I think Mitch is trying to say that's only a small segment of the overall soil that's being serviced in the United States or in North America. And until people like you get a bigger market share, get a bigger footprint, it's probably going to be fairly slow adoption. Man, I, I you guys are seeing good adoption probably. And, you know, and I know Chris Masters and those guys are seeing decent adoption, but and good adoption, but it, Pivot Bio probably the same, some, but it's fragmented and, we and, just and launched, fairly. We launched a new product this year to give you a data point, Kevin. Uh, we launched our new product called Excavator this year. It's currently out there on 300,000 acres. Retail didn't participate in 10% of it. It was farmers that wanted to learn about biologicals that grabbed it and ran with it. Because when you went to the channel and tried to get them to take it to their farms, they told you it was a mad scientist. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I see that. I mean, I mean, Grant, Grant, you guys, Grant and Bodie, you guys have your your whole operation is set up in an intimate manner with the farmer and the producer. And you work hand in hand on that, on those, some of those projects with them. I think like Mitch is saying some, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's as prevalent as we would like I to see. To or what's gonna... I, farm, I farm in Indiana. I buy off the biggest full service co-op in the state. There's not one biological product that I can buy off them. Not one. If you go and you try and get them to sell one, look at you with cross eyes like you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Go to the farm and expose the farmer to the technology and get intimate with his operation because it isn't 32 ounces around us. Well, Mitch, hey, Mitch, it it isn't any different than we saw with Tesla in the electric vehicle space or, or some of the others for the first 10 years. I mean, the the big automakers looked at them like they were nuts out of their minds. So, exactly. You know. Yeah. Go to a company. Tell them you got a product that can reduce nitrogen by five percent. See how quick they are to get on board with you. <laughs> I hear you. So, I think They're that's changing. I think by fertilizer sales, and how do I make money if I don't sell fertilizer? That's what they're going to tell you. Yeah. And all the loyalty programs and everything. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Like I, I I really don't like, I don't disagree that that is what the mindset of traditional retail is. But the question that I've always asked back in, in roles that I've been in is, is, is what's a hundred percent of zero, right? What's 50% of zero. What's 20% of zero. If those are margin figures that you want to get, what is that of zero? My point is, is that if retail doesn't, get on this bus. They're going to get run over by independents that are flexible, that are open-minded, that are focused on servicing the customers. So we can either sit back and, and they can they cannot choose to adopt it. Um, but I think when enough pressure, when enough pressure comes, when they feel the pain, 
they will then adapt and adopt the technology and they will talk about it regardless of the fertilizer sheds that they have, regardless of the fertilizer trucks that they have, because at the end of the day, we're not talking about anti-fertilizer from our position specifically. We're not anti-fertilizer, we're just pro-farmer efficiency. And so we still want those businesses to be in their communities. We just want them to understand that there might be a little bit different way to go about crop production where a grower can be more uh, more uh, economical and also be pushing and breaking yield barriers. You know, I've, I've said this all along. If I were running one of those companies and I sat on that side of the table for a long time, bought a lot of technology and companies, I would not be in the fertilizer business. I'd be in the nutrition business, the fertility business, because it's the whole thing. I'd want my NP and K, which are not always great margins, to actually go further with something that is a better margin. And I, you know, when I started doing something different after I left Monsanto, I knew people all across the industry. I had a lot of people calling me, hey, Dave, what are you doing? What are the biologicals? And they'd always get come back to, well, what's your mode of action? I tell them, look, we have over 600 species of bacteria, over 200 species of fungi, about 72 different species of protozoa. There is no mode of action. It does lots of stuff and it's confusing. It's not a sound bite. And so they're, they're not our outlet. They will, I agree with you, Bodie, they'll wake up and someday they'll acquire companies like yours or mine or something when they see that they need to get on board. Because that's, that was my attitude and the attitude of Monsanto for years. That's where I'm at. I think that they'll adopt, but there's going to have to be pressure for them to do it. Yep. I think they will get on board, but they're not early adopters that are going to lead the way. I'm just not seeing it. No, there's heavy lifting to do, and they've got other things they can invest in, and that's what they're going to do, and that's fine, which gives us a space then where, you know, I think working together because we've got good products and I think we're all on the same page in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. And there's a lot to change in global agriculture that it's, it's, a, it's a good future for our companies. And, uh, you know, oh, let's, let's go make the most of it. Most and I think I've ever been in my career. Yeah, and the best part is, this is the best thing we can do for the producer. I mean, I fervently believe that. These are products the producer really needs and it's going to make their their operations better and more profitable and their land more valuable well so i'd go do something else <laughs> i don't need well, jordan should we wrap it up yeah anybody got anything todd jordan anything else no it was good man i appreciate you guys being on today hey hey kevin thanks for having me on today i enjoyed listening to everybody a bunch of great guys thank you yeah, I think I'll, I'll finish here a sec and just say I've taught and I've tried to teach, I think, my kids and some other friends that most all innovative or disruptive technologies start at the low end of the continuum. If they start where the bigger players don't give a shit because they're not taking, you're not taking any market share. They don't see it as, they don't care. They look at it and they discount it. So if you want to think modern day, I could go all the way back through history. Modern day, you look at an Uber. They didn't care. Taxi guy, who gives a shit? Somebody's giving somebody some rides and a friend giving some rides in his car on an app. 
shit, the next thing you know, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're breaking down unions. You're, you're demolishing the entire infrastructure in, in cities and things. Airbnb. Well, shit, Marriott and Hyatt, nobody cared. He got renting some rooms out of his house on some air mattresses and giving some guys some cereal out in San Francisco. Nobody gives a shit. And most of your disruptive technologies start at the low end, meaning like this, the, the big boys don't see this as in the beginning, taking a lot of market share. Same with the electric vehicles. I could travel around 10 years ago. I tell people, oh, I really think this is going to turn into something because GM Ford, nobody's giving them any attention. They're gaining some steam. They're gaining some momentum. They're getting some money behind them. Be careful here. Be careful. Heads up. And then it blows up. And, you know, I see the exact same blueprint taking place here with what you guys just said. You know, not big guys, not really giving it much thought. Yeah, that's snake oil. Eh, da, 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 da. And, and like Mitch said, it takes a while to gain traction. Hell, it takes 10, 12 years, maybe. And then all of a sudden, like anything in life, how's it happen? Gradually, then all at once. And uh, I think you guys will see that. I think you guys will see some huge success. And, I think your businesses are all going to be awesome. And I think like Dave and Mitch, and but I mean, Dave and Mitch, you guys may, you know, the big boys may gobble you up. I know Grant's mission is not to let anyone gobble him up. He's going to continue to grow and, uh, and build his out. So I, you know, Hey, I wish all you guys the best and anything we can do on our end. I know you guys will be at FarmCon. We'll see you. We'll have you on stage and maybe we'll get in a good argument up there and that'll be fun and <laughs> get the crowd riled up a little bit. So I appreciate right. you guys. Thank Sounds you. Like a winner. Thank right, you, all, my friend. Bye. Thanks. See you guys. Appreciate, appreciate it. Guys. Have a great night. Thanks. Talk to you.